Snoopy. So let me read it to you once again. And the Michael, is the box coming down with all of those things in it? Uh, yeah, I think you all know this one. This is specially signed by Charles Schultz. Congratulations by Charles Schultz. An original drawing once again. This one, Snoopy is typing on top of his doghouse. He says he was tough. He was mean. They called him Macho Beagle. He carried his own felt pen. All right, here's Mike. All right. Now, this is Mike Downey, and uh, I'd like to have Mike also introduce a couple other members of the Downey family. Here you go, Mike. Hi, this is my twin sister, Michelle. <laughs> and our brother, Wayne. So we devised a way to do this so we can all participate. <laughs> all right, what now Michael do? He'll shake this stuff up and make sure that we get the, oops, everybody in there. Oh, this is quite an act. All right, an elaborate, upside down. Shake, 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 shake. I hope you don't draw my name again. How long are we going to do this? Uh, it's good exercise. And now we open it. And we open it. And we open it. And is everybody ready over there? And we mix them up. Who's drawing? Wayne. Wayne's drawing. Don't mess it up. I, my name is Cork Milner, Wayne. Okay. <laughs> He's not looking. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> you put one back in. All right. You put mine back in, didn't you? And the winner is, and I'm not positive I can read the last name, so we'll have to take an... No, I guess we can do this one. It's Judy Pochni, P-O-C-H-I-N-E, I believe. Judy. Hey, Judy, baby! And the original comic strip goes to Judy. They all hate you. Thank you, thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Uh, let's see. I want to welcome you to the uh, humor workshop, I mean, the humor <laughs> panel. And, uh, this evening, uh, real quickly, we're going to go uh, introduce the people that are up here, even though I think you might know everybody that's here, because we did it last year, except for one exception. Anyway, I'll start off in alphabetical order, and uh, because they insisted on it. The uh, writer of, uh, of Fried Green Tomatoes at the Wissop Cafe, and uh, many other books, and uh, an actress, uh, comedian, and an alumni, alumnus, alumni of the uh, Writers' Conference, Miss Fanny Flagg. Thank you. Um, the next guest is new here, uh, but he has been uh, to the Screenwriters' Workshop. And uh, he's the supervising produ producer now, the executive producer. Of, is, by the way, on the program, it's spelled supervising with a Z. Um, I hope you, anybody, I hope you editors noticed that. That's not correct. Anyway, of the Dick Van Dyke show, uh, Diagnosis Murder. And he's written two very funny books, which I read last week. My Gun Has Bullets and Beyond the Beyond, very highly satirical. And uh, he's, uh, he came to my workshop, and I think you'll find him very amusing, Mr. Lee Goldberg. Now, Francis Weaver has had so many books out there. Next conference, I'm going to see there's going to be a separate table for just the Weaver collection. <laughs> I've never seen such a prolific writer in my life. And uh, Francis also is alumnus of the uh, Writers' Conference. And uh, he's been here for, uh, I think, uh, more years than, than, any, than any of us. I have a feeling uh, that something is happening behind my back or, my, or, or behind my front. Uh, anyway, Francis Weaver.
and in this case, last but least, <laughs> the uh, uh, renowned comedian and writer and uh, artist and uh, almost a dear personal friend of mine, Mr. Jonathan Winters. Now, real briefly, uh, I just want to ask everybody in the panel of just what they're doing these days. And uh, I, I will start off with Fanny. Are you working on a new novel? Not right this second. You have to get right in, I'm yeah. afraid. Uh, yes, I am. And I say that I have been working on this novel for so long, I'll just... Yes. <laughs> I, I just spoke to, literally, my my editor, and I said, I cannot wait to finish this book so I can take it in the yard and shoot it. <laughs> so yes, I, that's where I've, I've been working on this novel for five years, and I'm thrilled to hear Mr. Styron say it took him that long. Because it doesn't mean that mine is going to be anything like his, but it's mm -hmm. five years. Yes. Five years in the making. Mm -hmm. All right, and Lee, what are you up to besides super? Uh, uh, I know full-time job supervising a TV show, but are um, you writing another novel? Well, I don't know about that. My last two novels have embarrassed my mother so much that uh, <laughs> oh, I maybe I should drink the diagnosis murder. <laughs> she says, I love you dearly, but your books are pornography. Why can't you write sweet stuff like diagnosis murder? Um, right now, diagnosis murder is taking up most of my time, but I do have a, a third book I'm working on that's not the least bit funny or embarrassing. I failed to mention no that, sex yeah. in it at all. I failed to mention that uh, Lee Goldberg, no sex? Oh, there, um, um, is the son of Jan Curran who's uh, been with the writer's Comps for many, many years. And Francis, are you, uh, I'm, I'm sure you must be working on the 19th book or something like that. What are you doing, dear? I'm trying to redo an old one, and that's even worse. Mm -hmm. But uh, um, I'm working on, on uh, uh, I've decided that since, since fiction and nonfiction are coming together some way, I'm going to write a travel book about old people in a bus, and, <laughs> and, and and they're going to travel a hell of a ways and have a good time. But that's basically what I'm doing, and and um, as far as the writing's concerned. Thank you. And uh, Mr. Winters, uh, can you give a brief description of what you do from day to day? <laughs> well, I I'm visiting a lot of war surplus stores. <laughs> I see so much violence on television, it seems like a fun place to go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I'm writing a book about the lives and loves of Maud Frickert. And, uh, she's a woman that's 87 years old, that's been married 12 times to a jockey, to Bigfoot, which was not an affair, but they studied each other closely. <laughs> And uh, I've got it pretty well put together, but of course it's far from finished. And I'm in no hurry now. Uh, once you get upwards of my age, I'll be on that bus that she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. Well, I think I might know the answer to this, Fanny, but uh, a lot of people ask me in the workshop to describe God, I hate to ask you this. Their work habits. <laughs> uh, how do you how do you go about doing what you do? Say that morning you say to yourself, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna write today." Just how do you get s settled into that? Well, I I am so easily distracted that I literally must wake up and walk immediately to my room, and I have my coffee in my room fixed because if if the curtain blows, I'm gone. <laughs> and so uh, I have to go in my room, close the doors, and um, I, I can't, uh, I can't even, really, I literally can't pet the cat because I will use any excuse not to write. I will become distracted, and uh, I go in, and I've ser I'm seriously, I uh, for me, I think that uh, the first thing in the morning is, is the best time, that your, your mind is fresh, you're clear, and I go in, and I, on a good day, I can do five to six hours. I don't like to do that much, because it's, it, it's really tiring, but um, 
I usually try to work four, four to five hours if I can, you know, and um, sometimes, uh, truthfully, I'll go in and if I, I can't work, I'll just uh, uh, read or uh, look at pictures. But I do try to stay in the room, you know, for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> this room sounds ominous. <laughs> the room. And uh, I, I, ha I have a telephone in there, but uh, it, uh, the ringer was removed. <laughs> so I don't know who's calling. So anybody's called me, that's the reason I haven't called back. But uh, it, that's, that's the way I work. And, that, that, and I, when I am working well, I work seven days uh, a week. And I can go for three weeks, and then I'll take a couple of days off. And then it will take me two weeks to get back into my right brain. So it's, it's, uh, it's tragic. But that's, those are my work ethics. <coughs> but I don't, don't copy what I do. Do, uh, do you use a word processor? No. Uh-uh. No, I just use a little typewriter. Oh, typewriter. I uh, I don't know how to use a word processor. You know, I really don't. I I just am not. I'm not. Uh, I think I've shared with y'all. I am dyslexic, so I literally sit and write, and I use uh, uh, scissors, and I'll I'll paste uh, my page together, and it looks like a you know science project of a fifth year old. <laughs> but that's all. I, I, that's all I can do, and um, so it's uh, it probably is the reason it takes me five years. But um, I just don't, and I, I and I, I don't have anything bad to say about them. But to me, they are of the devil. But that's all right. <laughs> uh, Lee, how how do you attack this problem? I have my wife convinced that I'm writing 24 hours a day. Anytime she calls me, honey, what are you doing? I say writing. Um, I have her convinced that if I'm in the shower, I'm writing. If I'm in the bathroom, I'm writing. If I'm watching TV in my underwear, I'm writing. That writing is not necessarily the act of putting your fingers on the keyboard. It's just eating, living, and breathing. Um, my trick is I do use the, the word processor. I leave my computer on. The glow sort of like tells me you should be sitting here writing. <laughs> so I walk by my room, I see the, my office, and I see the glow, and I'm, I'm sort of sucked back in to do my work. I'm fortunate in that my day job is a job that requires me to write whether I'm in the mood or not. If I don't have the script done, ready for prep on Monday, 150 people are standing around the soundstage picking their noses, and it's costing a lot of money, and I'm finishing the business. So I'm forced to write all the time, and it's, it's like any muscle. You know, you exercise, you work it, and it's, it's easier to write. My problem is during hiatus, and I'm not on a show, I have a hard time getting myself out of, a, out of an easy chair watching Mannix reruns to actually actually write. Unlike, unlike other writers, I really love it. Um, it's something I'm, I'm always eager to do. I have a pen and a, and a bag here, and it's all I can do not to, to write. It's just it's something I, I'm compelled to do. Does that even come close to answering your yes, question? Yes, it does. Yes, thank you. That's very interesting. And Francis? I write early in the morning, too. I think that is the best time, Fanny. It, it, um, and, and in order to make my, build in a little self-discipline, I don't dress until <laughs> it, it's 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 brought a strange response from the man from UPS in a few because <laughs> I show up in some pretty funny not outfits but um, uh, I, I write early in the morning and, and without giving any thought to what's going to happen with the rest of the day until I've finished what there is when 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 uh, spirit moves, there are things that you can't not write, and you've just got to go in and do it. And and it seems to me best to just it, it works for me to just go ahead and go do it, and then I feel better and I can go about the rest of the day some way. Are you all right? <laughs> yes. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Winters, uh, do you have any uh, uh, <laughs> work habits to speak of that I <laughs> you can share with us? <laughs> I was interested in hearing because I've heard this before, and most writers do write in the morning. I don't. I write at noon because I've been up all night. <laughs> That's because of a medical problem. <laughs> I don't enjoy going to the bathroom that many times, but I don't have any alternative. The cat has made his mistakes, and I've made mine. <laughs> so at any rate, I, about noon is when I'm pretty much together. 
it's late and uh, my wife has gone off somewhere. She doesn't work and uh, so it doesn't, you know, we've been married a long time, so I, I don't check on her that much anymore. <laughs> and she checks on me, it's interesting. Where have you been? Do you know what time it is? Yes, I have a Swiss watch. Do you have a badge and a gun? <laughs> then I really get naughty and say, you know, O.J. used a knife. No. <laughs> I would use a pillow so the children would recognize you. Uh, she knew this some 49 years ago. Married a strange man. All of her friends, mostly women, always say, how do you put up with him? Two in my 49 years have said, how do you put up with her? Both were not prostitutes. At <laughs> uh, any rate, I, I don't write with any kind of machine. I have to write by hand. I'm out when it comes to machines, and I envy people that can sit down and use those rascals. I write everything by hand, and then I have a, a nice-looking lady who is in her late 40s, which seems fair for my wife who's in her late whatever, and <laughs> she then transcribes for me what I've written and says, I can't make out some of this. Well, when you're up all night, it's a miracle that you can read any of it. <laughs> but that's my report. I, I, must, I, might, I might add that I've read Jonathan's uh, hand-written things, and he has one of the more beautiful hands I've ever seen in my life. It's really very, Thank very you so very much. Good. Thank you, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't mean to compliment you that much, but... Come by later on, I'll show you even more things. <laughs> That's why I met you in the first place. <laughs> uh, let me ask uh, all of... Uh, I'm going to put this out to the panel, too. Uh, how has... Uh, in the, here we are in the 90s, and um, except for maybe uh, a certain member of the panel, all of us have dealt with uh, different aspects of writing, but now we're into this political correct era. And has that affected your writing? Has it affected your humor? Or are you aware of it, or you just ignore it completely, Fanny? It scares, it scares the hell out of me. Because no matter what you write, you're going to offend someone. And I, don't, I, I, I am terrified to offend someone. And it, bo it bothers me, and it, it makes me uh, self-conscious about what I'm writing, which I, I guess we have to be, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that's turning around. I really do. Um, I'm not sure, but I think, I think we're, we're getting our sense of humor back, you know. I think there was a period there where we really couldn't, that everything we said was taken seriously or examined politically. And I think, you know, when you're writing a book, you're, you're just writing a book. You're not, um, it's very difficult when people read in what they want to read, you know, and, and, and uh, assign their uh, hang-ups or their anger or their problems on your book. And it's very scary. And it, uh, it almost makes you, you know, sort of not, not wanna, want to write. Uh, because you're so scared, you're going to. If you get into an area, area, an area, an area, area that, yes, that like yes, that. and 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 uh, if you get into an area where, uh, you know, you're you're going to be attacked, it's very it's very scary. You know, mm -hmm. it's like uh, a lot of people will say, well, if you're not this, you can't write about that, and I just it's uh, it's getting very frightening. You know, yeah, I did the Hasidic Rabbi Dental Association attack my last book. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, as Ian can testify, there is absolutely nothing politically correct about my books. I'm not the least bit concerned about it because I write my books because I figured I had a choice. I could either go into psychoanalysis or write books. And at least <laughs> by writing books, I get paid for it. My books are a reaction to my day-to-day -day life in television. My books are dark comic thrillers about TV. If you spend all day writing dialogue for a talking dolphin in a science fiction show, you want to go home and take out this aggression somehow. In my in my book, I have a character who has a toupee made of golden retriever hair, so he's raped by a celebrity dog. <laughs> I have another character who's an actress who smothers a guy with her giant breast. Not very politically correct. My, my second book, Beyond the Beyond, I wrote while I was doing a show called Sequest. And while Sequest isn't Star Trek, believe it or not, it does have a legion of diehard fans who call themselves, you know, Captain... Schmidt of the United Earth Oceans and, and would send me vicious email criticizing me for things I did on the show and for not consulting them first and 
uh, getting the serial number wrong on some shuttle crap. You know, so my book is all about these lunatic science fiction fans. When it came out, they were enraged. <laughs> oh, so, you know, political correct doesn't make a difference to me. As long as somebody is foolish enough to publish my books, I'll just keep writing. I write, I write more to amuse myself and to keep myself sane and not beat my dogs and my wife than, than to make a buck. And writing for St. Martin's, you don't make a buck. <laughs> Francis? Well, I don't worry too much about this politically correct stuff because what I write is mostly about old people, and if I offend them, by morning they've forgotten. Francis, uh, apart from that, so have you ever had any, any reaction to things from people that have sent in any reactions to things that they've taken? You don't understand, Ian. My readers are tired. <laughs> 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 they react very slowly. <laughs> <laughs> By the time they think it's bad, they've got, they've, they've, They've gone on to passed on. About <laughs> yeah, 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 that's it. Well, that's that. I appreciate them very much. Yeah, I imagine. Um, of course, with Jonathan, uh, also in the performing end, I know we were talking the other day at lunch. You know that people used to do uh, uh, comedians did dialects, and um, there was Amos and Andy. There was all sorts of things. Uh, and Jonathan, you, you you believe that sort of has hurt humor, don't you? Hello, Jonathan. Amos and Andy. They're no, no, dead. no, not no, not Amos and Andy. Uh, the fact I'm that I'm going to follow this one, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I suddenly, I, I'm going to start to talk like you know. I read your book, Fran, and I am old, and it was good. <laughs> yeah, see, people don't laugh at that when you get that old. Um, no, I find uh, for me, I, I never set out to make fun of anybody. Really, it's uh, I'm not pinning any medals on myself or becoming some kind of magic Christian or anything like that. I just, I was never big at roasts. I never went to many, uh, just a couple of them, really. I feel that uh, they've made quite a success, as most of us know, that have seen the roasts on people. But by God, uh, for my money, it, when you make fun of a dude or a woman, you better know them a long time because people are more sensitive than you realize, more touchy, more upset. You make a couple of remarks, and they, I didn't need that. <laughs> Start kidding about the man uh, being married 12 times, and you know his wife, current wife is 26, and not too happy with her. But, any rate, I find very honestly, uh, you certainly can't kid the African American, you can't kid the Jew, you can't kid the Greek, the Italian, the French, the English. The only people it seems to me that you can you can't kid Arabs, can't kid certainly the Chinese or the Japanese. The only people left are the Germans. Uh, they were so bad for so long. You can still kid them. And to me, one of the funniest men, I wish he were here tonight, I'd love to just shake his hand, one of the richest people in our industry, uh, doesn't live, wasn't German, but neither was Hitler, um, is uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. One-dimensional dude, you know, but I don't kid. I am a funny guy. <laughs> mm. I guess Danny DeVito knows what he's doing. Um, anyway, I shouldn't kid him. My wife says, listen, you don't know. He must have a lot of friends. Where? In, in Austria? Um, anyway, I, I, I figure those people. And then you've got to, you know, pull back and say, just because the guy's German, am I going to make fun of him, do this or that? Well, you can hope that maybe he was, you know, into making clocks. And... Um, <laughs> But I guess I, that goes as far as I can go with this. Well, thank you. <laughs> this lady said it all, gang, didn't she? <laughs> I want to go uh, to, into, into another. Uh, this is going to be, we're trying to be educational tonight, actually. Uh, 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 Fanny, where do your characters come from? 
are they based on real? Are they park real? Or are they just all made up? My characters are based on real people, composites of real people. Uh, a lot of my people uh, that I write about are, are southern, midwestern, whatever, and uh, they're based on stories of people that I've heard. And I realized something um, that was sort of alarming. Um, my father was a motion picture machine operator. And you know, I think that I sometimes base characters on something I've seen in the movies. Uh, I don't know where they come from, but it's basically something I've seen or I've heard. Um, things that um, people that just are interesting to me, but um, mostly composites uh, of people that I've known, relatives, a lot of relatives, you know, that that, that I have. Uh, for instance, fried green tomatoes was literally based on my great aunt who ran a little railroad cafe. And uh, the first book... Uh, Daisy Faye and the Miracle Man was based on my family and, and friends. So um, I basically write about people that I have known. And um, that's, that's, yeah, that's where I get mine. When you have them, how far do you go in, in, in the, in, in the fictional, uh, fictionalizing them after that? Pretty far. Pretty far. Yeah, I, start, I, start, <laughs> I use them as a, as a, a blueprint, yeah. and then I make them do things that they never did. Right. <laughs> you know, that's, and and I I don't I certainly don't have the same names or anything yeah. like that or are they're not really recognizable that much. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things we talk about in the workshop is that um, um, I think the death of humor many times is reality. I mean, if if it's too real, mm -hmm. uh, that's why you have to you have to give make them more than what they are. That's true. Yeah. Lee, where do those people? I know where some of your people come from. Well, as strange as it may seem to the three people here who've read my books. Um, my characters are all real. They're all based on people I work with. That's why I'm writing the book, for revenge. Um, <laughs> every anecdote in my book either comes from my own personal experience or those of my friends. Um, I'll give you an example. There's one experience I had I knew I would stick in the book. I was in a show called Baywatch. Um, <laughs> and David Hasselhoff, there's a scene where it was a party scene, and he had a line. He's supposed to walk in and say to Sean Weatherly, you look terrific. He wouldn't say the line. So I was called down to the set. Uh, I said, David, why won't you say that line? He said, because she looks like a big fat cow. Sean Wedley burst into tears and locked herself in her trailer. So I went to David and I said, look, your character thinks she's gorgeous. No, my character thinks she's a heifer. <laughs> well, couldn't we find something you could say about her? Beautiful eyes, their contacts, all right? How could you say great skin? She's had a lift. So we go through every possible thing he could say to her if you look at the episode now in reruns, he walks into the party and says, nice pants. And <laughs> it took me an hour to reach that compromise. I put that in my book. I made a different character. But all those experiences, you, <laughs> I've been dining out on them for years. I figure I might as well make a few bucks off them, too. So they're all in my book. Um, obviously, I exaggerate them, make them sillier and broader. But they're all based on some semblance of truth. I don't think you, you can exaggerate him. No. <laughs> no. Uh, Francis? Up to now, I've written mostly nonfiction, and the only character is me. And and I'm getting broader all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I really can't answer that question. I don't have a lot of characters. I wrote this this one that I'm revising about some people, uh, some the old people with Jonathan on the bus, but um, uh, they're they're all sort of uh, caricatures of of real people that I know but I hope none of them recognize themselves or I'm in bad trouble. <laughs> Jonathan, you're, you have a lot of characters, I know. Well, I started out um, talking to myself <laughs> because I was an only child and my dad was bombed and my mother was putting on makeup throughout the day. <laughs> and uh, so I talked to myself. I found uh, through the years, up until just recently, people would say, I notice you're talking to an empty chair. And I said, that shouldn't concern you. <laughs> I'm having a good time. <laughs> and he isn't. <laughs> and then the woman turned to her friend and said, I love this line. Someplace in the book, it's got to go in. 
She said, you know, Myrna, a lot of them are really burned out. <laughs> Which is true, but not in my case. Um, any rate, I have gotten a lot of my characters from, uh, like Manny, uh, from my relatives, uh, people that I grew up with. Maud Frickert was a... Maud Frickert was taken from an old, uh, well, I say old, she was old, she was always old. Um, I had an Aunt Dolly who had snow white hair, sat up in bed, drank vodka, made fudge, and um, had a pistol and fired at the birds if we came. <laughs> she was a hippo lady and a damn good shot. I said, did you ever shoot an Indian? And she said, I like them. Um, so we got right into the white people and she'd shot a lot of white people. but. <laughs> But I, uh, my characters, I really, uh, I think every good writer, every good artist, that you hope that wherever you travel, and most of us uh, in our field get a chance, an opportunity, certainly actors do, and, uh, and writers too, uh, get an opportunity to travel, especially if the book sells. Uh, otherwise, you just go to Solvang for a treatment. <laughs> but um, I, I meet characters, and I, I must tell you one little very, very quick story. I was, this is a true story, Some of, I'm starting to tell the truth, by the way, more, because I'm close to death. Uh, and I want him to know that toward the end I told the truth. <laughs> At any rate, I was in, uh, we were in, I should never, uh, me, uh, we, my wife and I were in London. And uh, I had an English friend there that is now no longer with us, but he had the same kind of warped sense of humor I have, and I asked him if I could get a military costume and possibly something like a French legionnaire, and uh, that I, could I wear that? And so I wore it. I was, we were staying at the time at the Dorchester in London, and I was coming, I was doing all right. I came down the lift and out of the elevator and onto the main floor there, and a gentleman approached me right away. He had not known me, but he said in perfect English, I, we do not tolerate terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> so, I had to go right upstairs and change. <laughs> and uh, my wife is always apologizing for it. John, please don't do this. We're here to 10 days to have some fun. My God, man, don't go to prison over a costume. <laughs> so I decided I wouldn't wear the costume. I returned it to my friend. And I went down and sat in a high back chair in the lobby of the Dorchester. And a woman came up to me and her husband. They were elderly people. I was close to elderly, just 10 years there, junior. And they didn't recognize me. They were from Indiana, Terre Haute, Indiana. And she said, excuse me, I'm Mrs. Alan Kenler, and this is my husband, Howard. And I said, how do you do? I knew I was home free. So could, could you tell us anything about where the, the Thames is and the Tower Bridge? And I said, Yes, I'm familiar with that. I come here on vacation, you know, on R&R, &R, as it were. He said to me, may I ask, uh, on vacation, where, where are you from? You sound like you're French. Well, actually, I'm Algerian. But I flew uh, under the, fought under the French flag. And I'm a legionnaire. Since I couldn't wear the costume, I thought, go with my suit. <laughs> so then she said, What's been happening to you, sir? I've been killing people. <laughs> I killed over 412, and now it's time to relax. <laughs> <laughs> they were both, I know, Protestant, but they crossed themselves. <laughs> and got into the cab and were gone. Thank you, Jonathan. Here's a question I mainly have for, for Lee and, and Fanny, uh, because it has to do with novels. Um, when you're on page five, do you know what's going to happen on page 50? If you're on page 50, do you know what's going to happen on page 150? No. No? <laughs> so you don't outline? No, I don't. No. I, I, um, I write... Uh, I write scene by scene, and uh, I write sometimes scenes at the end of the book, that, and then in the middle, and and I just put them all together and try to get them to follow. So I I don't do an outline. I have a vague idea where I want to go, but um, 
I just have no idea. I, I am always amazed where sometimes, the, um, like this particular book was supposed to be about a southern governor, and it's there's no southern governor in it. So I don't. <laughs> I really don't know. I'm one of those people that I really don't have an idea what I, what is going to happen, and I think that's what keeps me interested because I never know what's going to come out. You know, it's fascinating. It fascinates me. Because the characters lead you. It fascinates me, and it fascinates me that. Uh, all of a sudden I'll be writing and a character that I just wanted to sit on a uh, sofa will all of a sudden start to talk and want it, want, it seems to me that they want to be in the book and they want to talk. It was like, uh, I, I can only give you for instance, in uh, Fried Green Tomatoes there was a character that I just said, well, I wanted this lady to come in and sit down and just not say a word uh, to this older lady, Mrs. Threadgood, and it was Evelyn Couch. And she just absolutely would not do that. And I had to write her whole whole uh, storyline. Mm -hmm. So, no, I really don't know what I'm going to write, which is tragic, but I don't. And you wonder why it takes five years to write yeah. a book. <laughs> That's true. You're writing by hand, cutting and pasting. I don't always care. Um, before I answer your question, I one other thought in your previous question. My characters are all based on real people. I have a character in my book who's a TV producer who has a brass plaque with his name on it that says, this table reserved for... And he brings it to all the restaurants he goes to and puts it on the table, goes to the bathroom, comes back, says, oh, my table's ready. And he makes a big deal out of it. He does all his business out of his bathroom. He has a phone in there, a fax machine, books, television set. He calls me from his bathroom all the time. So I wrote a character just like that. He has the brass plaque. He has the fax machine in his bathroom. This guy calls me from his bathroom to tell me how much he's enjoying my book. But this one producer character is just too broad and silly. No one will buy it. So they don't recognize themselves when you. But um, well, on the, in your book, Lee, I like it when he goes. To, what what what's he goes like to um, Carl's Jr. and puts the, the puts the plaque on the table. He's had some hard times. Yeah. He, he, because he, he can't go to Lasera and places like that anymore. He's going to Kenny Rogers and all that. So he can say to people, "I'm having lunch with Kenny." And you know, if he puts Paul Newman's salad dressing on his salad. It's a salad with Paul um, Newman, of course. The outlining question. I write these really detailed outlines. They're beautiful to look at. I mean, they're suitable for framing. They're gorgeous. Full of details, and then I pay no attention to them. I deviate left and right, um, but I do need the outline. Um, I've been trained to write an outline because in television, you have to write an outline to get the approval to go to script, and people are prepping off your outline, so I've just gotten in the habit. I think it's a good idea to have a rough idea where you're going to, but like Fanny, I like to be surprised a little bit by the writing. You know, there were characters that were in the proposal I sold to publisher that don't appear in the book um, and the book actually bears no relationship to what I sold them but I had the outline and I kept revising it as I was writing and paying no attention to it it just gives it's a security blanket for me it's something that makes me know that there's something I can write that day that I'm supposed to write that I deviate from but at least I have that to start from do you write do you write like Fanny does though uh, can you can you go like from page 100 then back to five and then absolutely back? not I have to write you know, in like, straight Leonard, through yeah. I go back and do a lot of rewriting though Yep. Because I will, in fact, this producer character I mentioned was supposed to die, but I, I got such a kick out of him, and I was having so much fun writing him, that he lived, and that really screwed up my plot. I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was central to the plot that he was killed, so I was trying to patch it up as I went along, but the first part of the book was still set up for him to die, so I had to go back and change that so it matched the end, and then I found out the end didn't work either, so I did a lot of running around. It did take me five years, but she's a far better writer than I am. Uh, let me ask you: uh, Do you do do you edit uh, Fanny as you go along, or do you wait till the till it's all finished? I do. I do a lot of editing myself. Yeah. Yeah. I um, I worked uh, I, I worked on television, um, and I, I I used to work for Candid Camera, and so I did a lot of of um, really editing I had you have to edit and write as, as as much you know as as little as possible so I I basically do a, a tremendously uh, a, a lot of my own editing and um that's just I do yeah. yes Lee do you edit as you go along that's one of the pleasures actually of using a word processor it makes it very easy to move paragraphs around delete paragraphs put dialogue in other characters mouths to see how it looks and then you put it back again but it allows you to do so much experimentation, it, mm -hmm. it really eases, makes it easier to edit and makes it easier to cut and to tighten things up. In fact, I, the first time I came to the Santa Barbara Writers' Conference, I had written four novels under a pseudonym, uh, Ian Ludlow, so I'd be on the shelf next to Robert Ludlow. 
And I wrote those books the way, the way Fanny's writing hers. They aren't nearly as good as Fanny's, but I wrote them cut and paste and all that. And I think reading them now, they are horrible, but they're more horrible because of that. I couldn't today, if I was stranded on a desert island with only a notepad, I don't think I could write. I'm so used to being able to move things around and experiment with the word processor, it's changed the way I think. And uh, I think, as far as writing goes, for the better. Now here's a question for, for, for Fran and, and, and Jonathan. Do you, uh, <laughs> not together, not, uh, I don't want to put you guys together. Uh, uh, Fran first, oh darn. Uh, do, do you try, I mean, you've written a lot of books, Fran. Do you, uh, do you uh, try your material out on friends, or do you just instinctively uh, have that gut feeling, this is good, this is not good, this is good, or do you, do you actually read it to people or give it to them to read? I try it out on friends sometimes and, and on, on my family who are getting pretty tired of it. But um, uh, the family will say, that's nice, mother, uh, like, like good boys and girls that they are. And, and uh, that, so that doesn't work very well, but I'll try it out on, on mm -hmm. a few people. Now, conversely, do you, do you have something that you might think is so-so, and they all love it, and then the other way is they, they, they right. love something that right. they think Sometimes something's so funny you don't think it's any good. Yeah. I, yeah. Can, I can write something that I think is absolutely just smashing and, and uh, um, read it to somebody or ask them to read it and have a, an absolutely dead look and, you know, <laughs> deadpan and, and, and uh, decide that really wasn't quite as good as I thought it was. But um, uh, generally speaking, I used to just entertain myself writing all this hilarious stuff that that nobody else was laughing at and and I finally decided that that I was that I was just entertaining myself for sure but but um, uh, generally speaking I try it out on people and I've and and I used to I spent 10 years being a columnist with a with a, a small column yeah. a weekly column and that's a good, that was a good way to try out a bunch of stuff and decide if it was going to work to to use it in a in a larger piece was to just put it out in the newspapers and then wait and see if anybody saluted and and that and that worked that worked yeah. for me best to get a to get a have, have a regular thing going and a, and a regular uh, feedback from the from the people who read the paper uh, Jonathan I know when you perform you have instant feedback but when you write do you know do you have that feeling that I, uh, I'll tell you a trick that I'd like to pass along to the audience. I've been writing a book that I know, this is uh, a, a scary thing to say, but it's that thick. It's called rejection. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this has to deal with everything in life. You know, I'd like to kiss you. No, that's rejection. Don't pull that tooth. Shut up. <laughs> rejection. So. It just isn't to do with a you know publication or anything. I'll tell you a trick though. Seriously, I do. I, I know it's silly and it, it can be considered a, a mental problem for a lot of people. I pick out important people in every field and write a letter to me using their name. <laughs> and uh, whether it's the president or my new prime minister, I decided the other day to hear from him. So I wrote a nice letter. <laughs> And uh, I've always wanted to meet you, and it, what a bloody shame here you are in Santa Barbara, and I'm not able to come at this time because of parliamentary problems. And uh, then I read it to my wife, and she says, oh, time for you to go away again. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to entertain yourself, gang. Don't wait on the critics, and don't wait on the publishers. Write yourself, and it's a joy. Open your letter and say, you know you wrote it, so you know you're, you're going to get you know, accolades here and, and bouquets. I loved your book. It was wonderful. And then sign it, State Hospital, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, I want to, uh, before I ask the next couple of questions, I just want you to know that uh, if any of you in the audience have a question, there's a microphone in the center aisle, and at an appropriate time, uh, we'll turn it on, and you can come up and ask the, the panel a question. Uh, we have only a couple more to go, and uh, think of the questions you might want to ask anybody, and come up to that microphone and do so. Uh, and this is a, uh, this is a, a question that, that uh, I was talking to Fran the other day, and she uh, thought this might be a good question to ask the panel. And it's, a, it's an odd question, too. Uh, are you glad that you're funny? Oh, thanks a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's mm. okay. 
Does it make you happy to be funny, Fanny? <laughs> funny Fanny? <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, yes, I am. And thank you for, for the compliment. But the truth of the matter is, I didn't start out to be. I wanted. I was very serious. I, I thought that I had great uh, serious things in me, and I would sit down to try to write something serious. And comedy, you have to have great affection for the world, and you have to have great affection for people. And the part of writing comedy is sharing the the human experience, and everybody can say, "Oh yes, I've been there, I've done that." And it's it's my way, and I think people like Jonathan and Lee and Fran of saying, "We're with you." Uh, isn't life hilarious? There's nothing we can do about it. It's tragic, but isn't it funny as well? Um, and it, yes, I I am just thrilled to death. I used to, um, I I. I uh, let me say this. Uh, let's take this conference, for instance. I, I heard somebody say something, and I thought it was kind of a uh, apropos. They were talking about speakers that were going to be here this week, and I heard, overheard somebody saying, oh, yes, well, we're going to, uh, yeah, we're going to go to, we're definitely going to hear Bill Steyer and blah, blah, blah. And that, No, well, he's just a humorist. We, we can miss that. And I think that's the way people think about humor. They, they dismiss it as though it's not that important or it's not that hard. And it really is. It's really hard to write humor. And people out there that, that are trying to write it know how hard it is. And it's serious business to try to write humor. But the rewards of making people forget and have a laugh about their problems, if it is five minutes you've really done a service to mankind and I know that I've been through some which we all have bad periods in my life and if I pick up a book and somebody makes me laugh that's that's a terrific gift you know and um, so as much as I would love to be a serious you know uh, uh, you know revered kind of uh, thing you know I, I I'm just glad I'm not, and it and I realize it keeps me, it keeps my life so much happier because I, in in terrible situations, invariably I will turn around and see the humor in it, and that's all we that's all we can do. And I think humor is is put there to keep us from losing our minds, because if you really thought about the reality of life, we come in, we don't know where the hell we came from, what we are, where we're going, and how long we have. That's scary. <laughs> And so if you really faced reality, people say face reality, well, that would just scare you to death. So we have to have that steam kettle of the humor or else we'd really be in terrible trouble. And now, of course, we're finding out how, how literally healthy it is to laugh. You know, I mean, it's not a joke anymore. It's really healthy. It keeps people from having strokes and keeps them alive. So that's a, a long uh, answer, but yes, I am uh, very happy that I do humor, yes. Lee? I, I don't know if I'm funny, but I do know that the only reason I've survived in my chosen career of television is because I have a sense of humor. Otherwise, I'd go insane. Um, I can tell you the moment that I started my, my first book. I was stuck in Canada doing a low-budget action-adventure series for syndication with a no-talent star who was a ninja star, actually, and couldn't walk across the street convincingly. If you gave him a dialogue, yeah, I'll check on that. It was too much for him to master. He needed it on cue cards. And I'm stuck up there on a miserable week. It was raining and cold, and I was you know, going to a hotel every night. I was one of two Americans on the show. It was me and, and this actor. And the crew hated this guy. And it was around Christmas time, and he got him a gift. He, he got a card that said, you know, donations were made in your name to the American Cancer Society from this guy. And he kept me and said, these goddamn Canadians, they are so cold and cruel. You know, not one of them has thanked me for my generous gift. And I said, look around you. We are in Vancouver, British Columbia. You and I are the only Americans on the show. Don't you think it would have been smart to make it to the Canadian Cancer Society? <laughs> <laughs> and he looks me right in the eye with all the conviction he can muster and says, listen, cancer is cancer. <laughs> I, it was either shoot myself in the head, having to work with this guy the rest of the season, or go back to my hotel room and write a book. And so for me, being able to laugh about this instead of obsess about it and, and, and angst about it has allowed me to survive in this business and not become you know, a substance abuser, you know, not be cruel to my wife. I've seen so many of my 
colleagues self-destruct because this business eats them alive. They take it so seriously. I laugh at it, and it's what it allows me to enjoy what I do and go in every day. So I don't know if I'm funny, but I know my sense of humor saves me. Francis? The reason I brought up that question is uh, what I really meant was, are you glad that everybody you, who sees you thinks you're going to be funny? <laughs> and and that's, that's what different. prompted it was you told a story one time, Jonathan, about your friend the astronaut. Oh, yeah. And when you go to a party together, nobody expects him to fly to the moon, but then <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm stepping on your lines. I'm sorry. You can imagine the rest of the story. I'm not going to tell it. But anyway, I, it, it uh, bothers me somewhat in that, that when uh, I'm going to be someplace for some, some convention or meeting or something, I'm going to be speaking, and I'm going to be talking about what I really care about the most, and that is the options and opportunities for us as we age. Um, uh, people will say, oh, I hear you're going to talk, and I understand you're really funny. You're just a scream. And so you know they're going to come in there and and sit there in the in their chairs and expect to be just just rolling in the aisles and and um, uh, I want them to listen to something else so it's it's just a that's a, I don't like the label of being just funny I think that I think I think Fanny has a lot to say in her work and I'm sure you do too and and, and being just funny is not enough folks you got to have something else that you're aiming at as far as I'm concerned. Mr. Winters? I'd like to be taken seriously when I'm <laughs> making love. <laughs> That's not a funny thing. Especially as you get on in years. My wife and I have been married almost 49 years and I, this is tales in school instead of tales out of school. It's interesting, you know, a man comes into the room, her room. I have my room. I never thought I would have my room. I, it's not my house. It's our house. <laughs> but I have my room. And I'm armed to the teeth. <laughs> Everything works. Teddy bear fell off a shelf. A Claymore took him out. <laughs> um, now, all kidding aside, I went in and I... I decided I'd, excuse the expression, but try to get lucky. And she was sitting up in bed, and I never understood this with any woman, forget, regardless of race, color, or creed, that at around 10 to have curlers as big as my fist in her head. I don't know, that's a time of evening when your hair should be at a natural fall. But she has told me a number of times, I have a long day tomorrow, <laughs> and I want to look pretty tomorrow. How about tonight? <laughs> so I would start to kiss her a little bit in the ear here, tiny, nothing evil, naughty, a little tongue in the ear. <laughs> We've all been through this, you know, and 18, 26, 34, and then suddenly, oh, what are we doing? Um, so I was doing little, little fun things, and she's got the selector doing this. <laughs> And she turned to me, what are you doing? <laughs> and the last thing I heard her say was, don't you have a ball game to watch? <laughs> well, I tell you, seriously, you know, there are a few lines that we in comedy hear, whether you be a comedy writer or not. One is a terrible thing really. Uh, I don't know what the person means exactly by this, but I've heard this most of my career. Say something funny. Hmm. And I have returned with, I would if I thought you'd get it. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't ask, you know, the Mr. Young, one, I think he's one of the quarterbacks, or was, to throw the quarterback, the ball, you know, the length of the living room. So why say, you know, it's interesting. You want to ask a guy to an operational lawyer, artist, writer, write me something. Um, I think it's interesting, too, when you, you get on a very sensitive subject, talk about your dying, you know, slowly, and your eyes are falling out, and your arm's gone, and then the person says, I can't tell whether you're kidding or not. <laughs> 
Well, my arm has fallen off. <laughs> well, you can get another one. <laughs> Boy. But uh, I think, it, needless to say, they've all said it. A sense of humor is what's carried me through. I, I've been through a few things that um, shook my cage pretty badly. But, you know, I had a woman, I remember one day I was uh, in a place back east. And uh, an elderly woman came in. They do come in. From, they're called um, gray ladies, you know. And they are gray. No offense, my dear, but I'm getting there, you know. And the woman bent over to me, and she said, Excuse me, I'm Mrs. Allen Fersher, and I live here locally in Hartford. You, you, you are Jonathan. We, I was in therapy. We, there were 12 of us in a room, and a man who had graduated from Yale as a linebacker, and another man who just didn't graduate, but hurt people that didn't finish their product there. Um, so she said, you are Mr. Winters, aren't you? I wanted to say, no, I'm former Secretary of State under Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> but that can make you stay longer. <laughs> so, uh, so you just say, yeah, I'm Jonathan Winters. And then she said, excuse me, are you here, Mr. Winters, be because of drugs or alcoholism? And that's, I couldn't take it any longer. This for my humor. I was looking out at barbed wire anyway. <laughs> iron bars and these two hulks, you know, and the other guys had finished their plates. So uh, I just went, uh, no, can you believe that I'm just naturally crazy? <laughs> she didn't come back the next week. They kept her in downtown Hartford. Of course, uh, humor can be a curse, but it finally got me out of there, so uh, here I am, ready to read Francis's book. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Uh, and this will be one last question, and anybody wants to ask the questions, would you, you, you have to come to the microphone now, and, and also you have to put it on before you, you talk into it. Uh, Jonathan, I mean, everybody in the panel, anybody can answer this. Can you teach somebody to be funny? Can you teach somebody to be funny? Yeah. Um, I've always said this. I think that uh, if I were to attempt that, which would be a grave mistake, uh, not out of jealousy or envy, but just it, it's a terrible mistake for another guy trying to make somebody else funny. I do, I do believe this. I think you can write funny lines. I know that. I can give you funny things to do. I can give you funny looks. I can give you the costume, the, the, the shtick, the little funny cane or whatever you need, glasses, uh, that it may look a little bizarre or whatever. Uh, I can do everything, but I can't make you think funny. And that's the, that's the big one. Francis? Uh, you really can't. I, I don't think you can make anybody think funny. And, and generally, it can just drive you crazy when somebody thinks they are funny and, and, and keep telling, saying things to you that leave you just kind of standing there thinking, am I supposed to laugh now? <laughs> but... Um, uh, I, I'm reminded of, of one day, just, just watching this man uh, reminded me of one day when we were down by the uh, boxcar, I mean the, you know, by that, by that place, and, and some, some young man came up to, to Jonathan and he said, would you sign your autograph here, this is on a postcard to his girlfriend, and Jonathan said he'd be glad to, and, and, and he said, would you please say, Harry and I are having a good time, and then sign it. And, and he was being so nice to this kid, and the kid looked at him and said, you know, I know you're somebody famous, but I'm not sure who you are. Who are you? And this says, I'm Dom DeLuise. <laughs> and the guy was just beside himself. He said, Dom DeLuise? My girl just loves Dom DeLuise, so he signed the card Dom DeLuise, and the guy walked off perfectly happy. That was a big day, a big day. Lee, can you teach somebody to be funny? I don't think so. I think a sense of humor is something instinctive that you're born with. I don't think it's something that can be refined or taught. Um, in some ways, I think writing talent's like that. You either have the talent or you don't. You can take all the writing courses and screenwriting courses in the world, but I think if you don't actually have the talent, it'll never... Happen. I, I think it's something inside you, like any other special skill. 
It is a special skill. I think you agree, don't you, Fanny? Yeah, I think uh, being funny is a, a point of view. It's how you view the world, that it makes what you say and think and do funny. But I do believe very strongly that you can encourage people. And uh, people are maybe uh, shy and think they're funny, and then if they really are, you can, you can say, yes, you are, yes, you are, keep, keep it up. I think that's what yeah. most... I think that's what writers' conferences basically well, the, in the are. Well, in writing especially, I think in performing it's more difficult, but in writing, uh, I know one of the things I've discovered in the workshop is that uh, people who are innately funny, uh, and they're not funny when they've written that, that piece, just need some structural help. Mm -hmm. They need to cut out the flab, and then, and then all of a sudden they turn a piece into gold by just doing that. And we talked about that today. Lee was at my, we talked about, uh, one thing about funny, there's no, there's no flab, there's no fat. It's all bang, it's gotta be there because you, you just there's no patience with going through a bunch of descriptions and things. Yeah, I think also it's uh, there's only one word. It's called timing. Yes. You either have it or you don't, yeah. you know, and um, you just can't perfect that, though. You can't perfect true. timing. Yes, you can. Yes. Sir, is it on? Yes, it's on. Okay. This is for Jonathan. Jonathan, could you give us the one of your most memorable experiences in when you made a mad, mad, mad? Mad world? In, in a period of a couple of minutes, Jonathan? <laughs> I'll do the best I can. Uh, yeah, I'd have to say probably the biggest kick I've had probably in my career and certainly in that motion picture, that particular one. I haven't done but about 20. But that, that particular picture, Mad World, um, when I um, started to tear down the gas station, I guess it, would, it was so much fun to be able to be violent and uh, and get some money for it uh, and not hurt anybody, you know, really. The two guys uh, were a lot of fun to the two gas gasoline attendants. Uh, that was the funniest time. said Arnold Stang, wasn't it? Arnold Stang was yeah, one, yeah. yeah. And I'm trying to think of the other fellow. Mm. All right, sir. Uh, yes, Jonathan, I've known you for a few years and I'm glad that they have you restrained on this panel. <laughs> and the question I wanted to ask the panel is, if your vocation is to be humorous, how do you deal with feeling sad or not particularly funny on a given day and you have a deadline or somebody's expecting you to be funny or produce something funny. Anybody? Um, for me, terror is a great motivator. Um, <laughs> I have many days where I'll feel sad or concerned and I have to be funny for you know, the actor waiting on the stage for me. Um, and it's, at least for me, I can't speak for the others, but I, I probably for, true for Jonathan as well, it's, it's a job, it's a profession. He has a date where he has to perform in front of 700 people. He's going to be funny whether he feels funny or not. I have to get a funny script out on the stage by, you know, 3 o'clock or get the revisions out. I will. And in a way, I find it reassuring that I can put my sadness aside and take pleasure in being funny or writing something funny. And I don't feel so sad anymore. It, it gets back to being um, my safety valve, a sense of humor, my, my salvation, if you will. You know, I can have real problems. Uh, you know, be concerned about my mom's health or, or you know, whatever's going on. And, and if I can go and, and, and lose myself in a fictional world and laugh with these characters, it, it makes it so much easier to take the problem that I, that I have at home. So I don't have a problem with it, I guess, because I'm forced to do it. I imagine it's harder for you since you don't have a gun to your head to have to be funny. You just avoid that day. Uh, I have one of the most tragic days of my life where I got off one of my funnier lines. My, uh, my mother died. And I was at my father's house that night, and the uh, funeral home called at about 8 o'clock to tell me uh, she had died in the hospital. And they said, uh, well, Mr. Bernard said yes. He says, well, we have your father here. I said, well, that's kind of unfortunate. It's because my mother who died. <laughs> and, the, and the woman there just absolutely fell over. But it was a bit of humor at that terrible time. And... Uh, but the woman there, there's, there's not much humor in a, in a funeral home, I can tell you, especially a Jewish one. <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not just a question of humor. Yeah. My daughter was being born. I was in a hospital room with my wife and daughter, 
and I had a script due, and I had people calling me for the script, so I had to sit there in the room, <laughs> you know, the biggest day of my life, and still write this stupid dialogue for a talking dolphin. Um, <laughs> you do what you have to do to, to pay the bills, I guess. Sir. I apologize to anyone in the audience that doesn't understand the basis of my question. Uh, Jonathan, I have asked you this question literally thousands of times, and this is the first time you've had the opportunity to be where you could hear it. <laughs> Jonathan, do you drive a Chevrolet? No. I drive a Mercedes. I tell you, Thank I, you. my Chevrolet goes to my wife, and uh, my daughter has one, and they just canceled me. So that's the reason I, I would normally I would have lied to you. But since they canceled, I drive a Mercedes, only because for the protection. And Chevrolet is a wonderful car. But when you get on 101 and the big trucks are there, uh, you could be totaled out in a Chevy. Mm -hmm. I've tried to be people most of my life in a Ford or Chevy. Once I came into a little over two, two or three figures, I immediately put it toward the German car. <laughs> and uh, I've seen people totaled, you know, the jaws of life and all that, and they still get out. So, that answers your question. Thank you. Well, thank you for that question, and yeah, thank sure. you, John, thank for, you for, for sharing question. that with us. It was it was a comedy there, gang. <laughs> that, that was very deep. <laughs> Could have been worse. It could have been a sled. I want to I want to thank uh, Fanny Lee, and uh, uh, Fran and Jonathan for thank you uh, uh, doing the humor workshop tonight. And I want to thank you all too. Thank you very much. <laughs>